mindfulness mode. Instead of a bucket, I'm a lit candle with a room full of unlit candles. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I'm here with a professional who has created a personal journey as a speaker, a storyteller, a writer, an educator. He's a coach, an entrepreneur, and he's a community activator. I'm really excited to tell you that I'm here today with Sam Thiara. Sam, are you in mindfulness mode today? Always. I'm in mindfulness, mindfulness mode when I'm sleeping and when I wake up. That's great. What does mindfulness mean to you, Sam? I think mindfulness means that there's a lot of distractors, there's a lot of things that are happening around us, and it can feel like they're out of control, but mindfulness is having that calmness and the, the foundation and stability to be able to face all of this without having to compromise uh, you know, how you feel about it. Mindfulness to me is really establishing a, a root by itself. And I mean, it's interesting because one of the things I, I have, which my uh, many of my students and people uh, don't realize is, is I actually have a tattoo and it is very reflective of the mindfulness piece. It's the four elements. The water is my calmness. The wind is how busy I am in life with all these projects. The fire is this inner passion that burns but no matter what happens around me, the earth is, it's the shape of a tree and the trunk goes to the ground. No matter what happens in those three areas and then I'm always grounded. So I think that's what mindfulness is to me is this sense and ability of, of having the calmness amidst the storm. Wow. Well, it's really cool that you have that tattoo because I know that you are really connected to mindfulness in many ways. Is meditation part of your life, Sam? It is, but not in a structured meditative way. And there's a couple of ways that uh, this happens. Part of it is that one is actually my outlet. I mean, my outlet is woodworking. No matter all the projects and things that I'm working on, when I'm in my garage sanding for three hours, four hours, my mind is concentrating on just the finish of this wood. But it's released me from all the commitments at that moment because I have to pay attention to what I'm doing. But mindfulness to me is also where my ideas are coming from to support everything. So that's one way. I, I would say that the, the woodworking is a bit of a meditative state for me because I have to do that work. The second part about meditativeness is the fact that I don't have a particular practice, but I sit quietly at times and just reflect or uh, ideas will come to me because I've opened that space in a quiet place, but not so much in a dedicated my, uh, meditative state that I have to just at a particular time and area. It's just at certain times in the day, I'll just pull myself in and say, okay, let's just take a relaxing moment. And maybe for an hour, I'll just not worry about the things around me. And that's what my uh, meditative state would be. Well, Sam, I know that one of your favorite sayings in the world is everyone's life is an autobiography. Make yours worth reading. So tell us how you are making your autobiography worth reading. That, that came to me one day where, you know, I was looking at uh, the things I'm doing, it, but it was also, a, a, you know, as a result of supporting and helping so many people on their journey. And it's like years ago, I, I learned that, you know, if my life is an autobiography, I'm going to challenge myself to do things that make it interesting and engaging. It doesn't have to be dangerous, but it 
came to me to say that, to share with other people that, I mean, every single person in this world is a living autobiography. How and what are you doing to make it engaging and interesting? So, and again, that mindfulness piece has enabled me to then, as a result of it, to, you know, be an author, uh, now screenplay writer, or, you know, to teach and to be a mentor and coach who listens to people. Um, the idea is by my autobiography, which is the, the sharing and the support, I'm able to help other people build out on their own personal autobiography and realize how important it is. Well, one of your books is called Lost and Found, Seeking the Past and Finding Myself. And I know that's a fascinating journey about you seeking to find your roots. Could you tell us a little bit about that on the show here today? Of course. Uh, the, the book Lost and Found, Seeking the Past and Finding Myself, it's, uh, it's a beautiful story of how I was disconnected from my ancestral roots. I mean, visibly... I'm Indo-Canadian. I mean, I was born in England, raised in Canada. My parents come from Fiji Islands, which is near Australia, and grandparents who are from India. So visibly, if I look Indian, it's not uncommon for people to come up and say, well, what part of India are you from? And I say, well, I was born in England, raised in Canada. They're like, no, 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 your parents, what part of India are they from? And I'm like, well, my parents actually were born in Fiji. And then they look at me perplexed going like, but are you Indian? And then I'm like, well, my grandfathers were from India. And then they are like, well, okay. And then others who are like, you're not Indian, you're Canadian. I always struggled with identity. And I had always segmented my life into, you know, Indian, Canadian, British, Fijian, depending on where I was and who I was with. Uh, I was always segmenting that. I also found that growing up in Vancouver, Canada, it you know, is a predominantly, you know, Anglo-Saxon white, white society. And I mean, it never dawned on me that I was different. Um, you know, I, I'm just like any other typical Canadian. I mean, we, we embrace and play ice hockey or hockey in general. Um, we eat hot dogs, we scrape our knees, we bleed maple syrup. I mean, we're no different. <laughs> yeah, that's but true. Then, yeah, but the challenge is, is that, uh, you know, so you're a Canadian. And then in, I remember in high school, and I write about it in the book, is, um, you know, just grade eight and walking through the halls. And all of a sudden, this grade 12 kid just came and pummeled me in the head. And I fell to the ground. And I was like, what? And he goes, I just don't like Indians. And I was like, but I'm Canadian. And he just said, no, you're Indian. And he walked away. And, and, I remember I was always trying to avoid that, but it really pushed me into a direction of like pushing my Indian identity away. Mm -hmm. But it was only when I got to university and I saw a much more global audience and I ran into people from India, Pakistan and, uh, you know, Sri Lanka and Afghanistan all, and actually all around the world. And they started sharing their culture and identity with me. And I realized that that was missing. So fast forward years later, I then decided, okay, I, I really want to go to India. And I've traveled before, but I said, I really want to go to India. And I want to see what this country is like. I mean, that's a part of my life that was hidden. But equally at the same time, we were very disconnected from our ancestral roots because my grandfather left India in 1905, landed in Fiji. And, uh, you know, that's where my Father was born, married my mom, and then they moved to England, and I was born there, then we moved to Canada. But nobody had really 
captured that essence of where our ancestral roots were, except my uncle, my dad's older brother, had gone to India and actually went to the village, but he passed away years ago before anyone could uh, find out where this village was. So I guess uh, then for me, it was like in, uh, you know, 2004, I decided, you know what, I think I want to go on this journey. Not so much to find my identity, but it was about, you know, seeing what India is like and realizing it. <clears throat> and two days before I left, my cousin in um, California, my, my dad's older brother's son, sent me a faded photograph. And it's, it's about three and a half inches by three and a half inches. It's faded. You can't really make out the people, but he said, these are people from our village. That's our house, our grandfather's house. So with a faded photograph very little information. We knew the name of the village. We knew it was about six miles from Garshankar, which is a town in the district of Hushyarpur. But there's no map that shows our village name of Chadori. So I was like, okay, at least I got something to go by. I wound up going to India and Bruce, it was an eye-opening experience. I was a foreigner going to a land that should not be foreign to me in search of a needle in a haystack and not even knowing where this haystack was. I think for me, what was really interesting is the cultural shock that I got and the realization of what India was and how I realized my identity. I remember it happened about four in the morning. I just woke up after my 10th day there <clears throat> and it was an epiphany that I had and it just shook me. And it was like, Oh man, I was like, I looked at my life as a, as a platter, an Indian platter called a tali. So it's segmented into, you know, Canadian, Indian, British, Fijian. Otherwise it would be curry dishes, but that's how I was always segmenting my life. Well, to be fair, I also played in an Irish military pipe band. So let's put some Irish chutney in there as well. <laughs> but uh, what happened though, is that it, it made me realize, and I woke up to basically say that, I'm not a tali. I'm not this segmented platter. Instead, I'm kichri. Kichri is an Indian rice dish where you mix in vegetables and spices and flavors, and it's a blend of flavors. And I realized at that moment, I'm not segmenting myself any longer. I am going to embrace all of my cultural identities, and I can be all of them simultaneously and the realization bruce is that we're all kitchery we're all a blend of cultures and flavors and we can embrace everything the journey to find my grandfather's house was certainly much more arduous than i had understood <clears throat> because a day before i left for india my step cousin he said i've made it to garshankar the town did not find the village but the village name is different it's not chadodi it's janodi so I looked on a map, there was no Janodi, but there was a place called Jandoli, five, six miles away from Garshankar. And I thought, Chadori, Jandoli, and I went to my father, I said, what do you think? And he goes, you know, the name may have changed, or maybe we understood it wrong, but maybe it sounds like Jandoli, six miles from Garshankar, that's ultimately where our village is. I went with this anticipation to Jandoli, went to a courtyard, met people in a courtyard, they were having chai and, you know, they just said, oh, and then I walked up with a photograph and said, you know, basically my driver and I walked up and we basically said, so yeah, we're looking for a family. 
So somebody shows up at your house saying, by the way, are you in this picture? Are you part, you know, these people. <laughs> and they said, well, we're not sure, but they called a village elder and he looked at the picture and he said, well, I think there's a person that it looks like somebody I know or knew or in the village. And he gets in our vehicle and we drive to a house and now the anticipation is building. So the anticip anticipation is building until we get to the house and a person looks at the photograph with people around and all of a sudden I see him go like this and I'm just like, oh, this isn't the place. Oh. But he says, wait. And then, you know, he says, there's another house that this guy looks like he's from there. And we drive to that house. Same thing. That, or, now the anticipation is a little bit reserved, but it's still the wrong house. And then someone said, you know what? It's in the old part of the village because, you know, if he left in 1905, we know it's in the old part. And there is a house that it doesn't look like this, but I think the people are the, so again, reserved anticipation now. Mm -hmm. Bruce, we did this five times. Jandoli, beautiful people, wrong village. And we came back to the courtyard and I was really disappointed, but I loved what the people there said. They said, we're sorry you couldn't find your village. Just come back tomorrow and be part of ours. And I thought, wow, oh, that's wow. so beautiful. That is beautiful. Went back to the hotel, phoned my father. I said, I look, I really tried. It just didn't work out. And my father said, you know what? Don't worry about it. Just enjoy your travels. The next day, my driver came back and he said, so? And I said, well, forget what everyone told us. Let's just drive to Garshankar and ask people. And what was really interesting, Bruce, prior to the trip and even when I got to Garshankar is the fact that there was a lot of noise. People said, why are you searching for the village? You're not going to find it. If you find it, you may not get a good reception. Uh, what's the point? And that was happening in Garshankar as well. Nope, never heard of it. Uh, not sure why you're looking for it or et cetera. And again, the anticipation was really reducing until this one gentleman said, Chadodi. I mean, I, I've never been there, but I think it's up the road this way. So now the elevation of anticipation is a little bit higher, but now, by now, I'm really reserved. I'm going like, nope, I've been disappointed five times already. Many people in the, in the Garshankar said it's not, uh, they've never heard of it. So what are the chances? So we drive up a road and there's an archway and an old man seated there. So we show him the photograph and he said, well, I don't know about the house. Yeah, this is Chadori, but uh, I don't know. And he said, but the guy in the back, he looks like so-and-so. And I was like, man, this guy must be famous because everybody seems to know who he is. But they could never find him. Uh, so he gets into our vehicle. We drive to a house. He walks up the driveway and people come out of the house. And, you know, showing the picture. So here we've got the picture. And, you know, we've got this woman with a white shawl who basically looks at this picture and she sees herself and she said, that's me in the picture. Who are you? And it was oh, like, wow. wait, did I hear this correctly? I had to actually do a double take. She goes, yeah, that's me, but who are you? So when I explained who I was, she embraced me and she said, you're home. This is your home. What I had stumbled across was my grandfather's brother's family's house. This is where my grandfather left in 1905. And I was able to retrace and capture uh, where our village is, our ancestral roots. For me, it was that important. I walked out to the fields. I scooped up dirt. 
and I brought it home to all my relatives so that they had a piece and component of this village. This is why the book is called Lost and Found, Seeking the Past and Finding Myself. Our village and ancestors were lost. I was able to find it, both my identity and my village. And in order to seek the past, I found myself. So that's the essence of the story in the book. Wow, that is really compelling to hear you tell that story. And so was it easy or challenging for you to put that into words and in, mm-hmm. in the form of a book? Right. Actually, it was both. And the reason I say that is my first book is on personal storytelling. And that one was difficult to write because it's almost like a blank canvas and a blank slate. How do I tell, how do I help people tell their stories? So I broke that into sections. I had to research and come up with, with the content because the canvas was blank. For this book, it was difficult and it was easy. It was easier because I had my journal with me that broke the trip into each day and you know it triggered my memories. That part was easy. But the challenging part was trying to recall the emotions and the significance of what I was feeling at that moment, the depth of what I needed to share that really struck my core. That was the difficult part of of capturing that. But the chronological piece made it so that it gave me those memory triggers. I mean, there were times, and it's it's in the book, that, you know, watching the magnificence of some of the structures like the Taj Mahal or the Jama Masjid, like what people created, magnificent, but the poverty was just unbelievable. And how there was such a contrast of magnificence and injustice. Uh, I had to capture that in the book. Or when I went to the Golden Temple uh, in Amritsar, the holiest places for all Sikhs, and, you know, I literally sat there listening to the hymns and wept. I mean, I'm not a religious person, but I wept. And it was just this overwhelming sense and feeling that I had there. How do you capture that into words? So... That was the difficult part, but, you know, uh, it's a beautiful story that just needs to be shared. Wow, it really does. Sam, I always ask a question about bullying on the uh, podcast, and I want to ask you, do you have a story about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference? Mindfulness on the other person, for sure, not so much on me, but uh, yeah. I mean, I, I still remember that in, in uh, primary school, just one day, um, it literally felt like so many students just ganged up on me for no reason whatsoever, not as a physical way, but a psychological way. Uh, high school, it was like uh, there were instances where you would get bullied. And I think for me, it was not so much primary school. High school, I would say, was not... A good time for me. I mean, mm-hmm. I was awkward, shy, quiet. Maybe that's why you know it was easy to pick on someone like me. I wasn't. I wasn't an athlete. I wasn't a, a person who had got into trouble. I wasn't in the band or arts. I was just this nameless, face faceless person amidst five hundred students. <clears throat> but and and I will say at that point, mindfulness never really factored in. It's only later that I can reflect back to say that those instances, you know, have sort of reinforced that I need to treat people with respect. I need to treat people with care. Um, 
it's also about listening to other people so they have an avenue and a way to share. I think I needed to endure and go through that in order to really embrace and appreciate who I am. And it goes back to, I guess, another favorite quote I have is, obstacles are the necessary bricks on the road to success. I can't fear the obstacles. In fact, I embrace them because those obstacles are where the lessons in life are embedded. Successes are great, but the obstacles are not to be feared. They're to be embraced. You're going to have setbacks. You're going to have rejections. Uh, you're going to get bullied um, in, in any sort of ways that there's going to be these challenges. But how do you build those resilience and that uh, peace inside of you? Looking back, I'm actually glad I wasn't the person who was bullying. Mm-hmm. I'm Not that I'm, I appreciate the fact that I was bullied, but I don't think I could live with myself if I was the bully who had caused so much harm to other people. That's why I'm a community activator. It's like I've been given so much in life. The idea is I'm there to help and support so many people in their journey. Yeah. Wow. Well, it sounds like you really are helping mm-hmm. a lot of people and you've coached a lot of people, haven't you? And, and aren't you having some retreats coming up next year? Yeah. I mean, I still do about three to eight conversations per week. It's been about uh, 5,000 to date to help people navigate. I mean, and part of it is the fact that when you teach in university that, uh, you know, the students, apart from, you know, getting the lectures and the concepts and ideas, the theoretical pieces, come to me because they're like, but you add this other piece on purpose and uh, on mindfulness. Uh, So the mindfulness piece, uh, because of all of the things that I've gone through, both success and setbacks, Mm -hmm. uh, now I'm working with uh, three other individuals. We're looking to do a mindfulness retreat in Zimbabwe in uh, March of 2023 and in the UAE or Oman, probably October, 2023, we're just organizing it all right now. It's gonna be on mindfulness, self-care and personal development, just providing not just the tools that will help and support a person's personal and professional journey, but also it, because people may go to a retreat or a conference, but it, we've agreed the whole idea behind it is But as a result of being here, what are you going to do as a result of being here? The action. Show us. Demonstrate. What's the action? That sounds fascinating. Mm -hmm. About how many people will you be having in attendance? Yeah, we'd like to cap it at about, uh, well, 15 to 20, maybe 25. And with four of us, then we can do the breakouts. But what we really want is a a smaller, intimate group as opposed to a large gathering. Because, again, we're going to be going through some, you know, areas of people's lives that, uh, you know, maybe rough spots that how do we help smooth and and help them through it. Right. That sounds really exciting. Mm -hmm. And I know that your website is... uh, well, actually, you tell us. Where can <laughs> sure. we find you online? <laughs> so where you can find me online is www.sam-theara, T-H-I-A-R-A.com. I've got about 190 blog posts, all free for people to, on, on any number of things to help people in their journey. And also I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter as well. Yeah, and I was reading some of your blogs and and really 
drawn in by them and as well as your TEDx talks mm -hmm. that you've you've put up there and uh, it's just really wonderful that you are making so much available for people to help people through whatever challenges they might be dealing with right well and uh, one of the concepts that I've really been been putting out there right now is how there's a need for us to care but care which you know is related to mindfulness care stands for four words collaboration adaptability resilience and empathy i think as individuals teams organizations we all need to show more care collaboration what is it that you have and i have how can we bring it together and work with each other to collaborate to create something magnificent adaptability is don't fear change we've all gone through COVID and and seen what changes have happened embrace change and if you have collaboration you've got the support to embrace adaptability resilience is this whole idea that it's a marathon we're not out of this or anything think of anything that we're working on as a as a marathon and a personal marathon there's going to be challenging times in these hills in this marathon of life but equally at the same time there's going to be flat parts that are easier to do and empathy there is a huge need for us to show more care and compassion to each other so let's care more often uh, which is collaboration adaptability resilience and empathy yeah that's a that's a great acronym i really appreciate that as we move forward in the interview i want to ask you five quick answer questions sure. so just 30 second answers are perfect the first one is this who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life yeah it, it, it's always an interesting question because um I, it's almost like I hate to say it this way, but it's been me in the sense that there hasn't really been a particular influence person. Uh, if I had to choose one, it would probably be the Dalai Lama based on his teachings and his just his calmness about it. But uh, a lot of what I've had, it's it's come to me as a gift and I, I've sort of built that for myself, which then I give to others. So how has mindfulness affected how you deal with your emotions? Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a lot of challenges that I do face. It's my life is not, uh, you know, rainbows and cotton candy clouded worlds. But what I realize and the way I look at it is uh, I cannot control what happens around me, but I can control how I'm going to react to the situation. And I take control of how I'm going to react as opposed to letting the people or situation dictate it. So I think that's the way that I, I sort of focus on it is, you know, I'm behind the driver's driving seat and the, the, drive, the steering wheel, and I'm going to actually get where I need to go, but not let anxiety overtake it. I'm, I'm going to be grounded through the process. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. Breathing is really important because I think what happens is the fact that I think we, we breathe because that's just what we naturally do. But when it's purposeful, deep breaths, and you're listening to yourself when you're breathing, it just calms and slows things down so that you're able to actually undertake it. Uh, I think when we have anxiety, your breath, your, your breathing just speeds up and your heart rate goes up. But then even in amidst the storm, if you just sort of calm it down and just breathe and slow it down, you're able to handle it. Or the way that I always say as well, and I guess people around me have said is, you know, the reason we like to rely on you is because no matter what happens, 
you're still calm. And I said, because if I'm not calm and everyone else around me is not feeling it, if I'm not calm, then they're going to panic. But if I'm calm, there's that calming sense. Now, inside, I may be turbulent trying to figure out how to resolve it, but I'm still very calm. Just let's resolve this. Very good. And I want to ask you about a book. I recommend your book, Lost and Found. And, uh, you know, you're such an excellent storyteller that uh, this book is, is compelling. But tell us about any other books that you might recommend that are related to mindfulness. Yeah, I mean, um, one of them is actually written by a dear friend of mine, Riaz Megji. He wrote Every Conversation Counts, The oh. Art of Conversation. And uh, so it's a book that came out just uh, last year, Every Conversation Counts. So it's, it's all about, you know, how we need to communicate and talk to each other better. The other book, which I really embraced and, and really enjoyed was Gallo's book, The Storyteller's Secret. In other words, um, how do you capture the essence of your stories and, and make it into, you know, something that's uh, interesting and compelling, but personalized to you? Because we all have interesting stories. We may not feel it, but they are interesting stories if you actually realize the significance of who you are and your stories. Oh, very good. I'll put both of those books in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. So thanks for sharing those books with us. Every Conversation Counts and The Storyteller's Secret. And my last question is about apps. Are there any apps that you use or that you recommend to some of the people that you coach that can help in the Mm -hmm. mindfulness area? The one that I really like, and I have to find it, but there's a mindfulness app that I have um, that I really like. And it, part of the reason I like it is because of, uh, it's called uh, Relax Meditation. Mm-hmm. It's an app, but it uh, has the calming music, but, you know, it, it also has many different types of, of um, types of music that you can listen to, to bring yourself into a, a place that just calms you. But they also have meditation that's on there to help one uh, bring meditation into their life as well. Okay, relax, meditation. And as we wrap up the interview, Sam, do you have any final words of advice for someone listening today who may feel not as grounded as they'd like to be? Maybe they really admire how calm and how grounded you seem to be. What would your words of advice be? I think one of the the most important things, it was a mind shift that happened to me because again, going through challenges and, uh, you know, and people said, look, you share with so many people and people who are going through difficult times, et cetera. And do you ever feel depleted? Do you ever feel like worn out? And I said, well, if you saw my life or who I am as this giant bucket and a room full of empty buckets, if I'm doing three to eight conversations a week and uh, helping communities and nonprofits, and I'm pouring the contents of my bucket into their bucket, what's happening to my bucket? Well, that's depleting. And that's what we may feel like. But the mind shift I had was instead of a bucket, I'm a lit candle with a room full of unlit candles. So when I meet someone for the first time and our wicks touch, there's a giant flame that emerges. But, and, and that's the conversation we have and the, the time we spend together. But when we pull apart, my flame is no less depleted, but yet you've lit someone else and you've lit up a, a room as a result of it. And the idea is I go through life as a, as a lit candle, not a bucket. 
Now, someone may argue, yeah, but isn't your candle going shorter and shorter? I said, you know what? There's multiple candles that I have, and but the flame is the most important part. So I would recommend people to start thinking of themselves as the candle, not a bucket, and, and be able to light up a room with other people. Sam, I really like that analogy, and I've really enjoyed talking to you and spending this time with you. So Mindful Tribe, check out his book, Lost and Found. And thank you once more for being on the show today, Sam. Uh, thank you so much, Bruce. And always happy to come back if you ever feel like uh, there's a need for more stories. Awesome. Thanks so much. Bye now. Bye-bye. Hey, Mindful Tribe. Thanks for listening to the episode today with Sam Thiara. And I want to thank my sponsor, Athletic Greens. And I will ask you this question, Mindful Tribe. Are you a person who really, really cares about your health and your immune system? I'm guessing the answer is yes, since you're here listening to Mindfulness Mode. Well, you know what? It doesn't matter if you are dairy-free or gluten-free or, you know, whatever your eating pattern is, it does not matter. This product put out by Athletic Greens is a product that has no GMOs, no terrible chemicals or artificial ingredients. It supports better sleep, and better alertness and athletic greens uses the best products based on the latest science and it costs less than three dollars a day so the product that they've created is called ag1 and if you buy this product using my affiliate link you will get a free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin d and five free travel packs of ag1 with your first purchase and using this affiliate link that will help me with my show and it will also you know provide you with with this product and so i really suggest you check it out there's over five no not five there's over seven thousand five star reviews and and this product is trusted by so many people check out those reviews like i did and it's very inspiring so you know go to that website where you can uh, get my special offer the link is athleticgreens.com slash mindfulness so with that take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm focus and happiness stay in the mode